Hey everyone, welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade and I'm so excited to be welcoming back the beautiful Jacqueline Byrne, who you will be quite familiar with now as we've had some pretty intense, beautiful, ongoing conversations that no matter how many we have, I just look more and more forward to the next. So welcome back, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me, Jade. It's always a delight to speak with you and I love our conversations as well. I love that we always tend to have a nice theme to work around. And today we've picked one that's quite, I guess, season friendly with the silly season coming up and Christmas festivities. And while it's such a joyous time for a lot of us, it can also bring in uncertainties and I guess fear and anxiety around family events, social events, um, food, change to routines. It's like the perfect blend of I can't wait and oh my goodness. So well said, exactly. It's everything, everything that it is to go through disordered eating, HA, eating disorder, body image experiences is amplified in December and things can feel so much more exposed and chaotic and things can come up from such multiple angles as well that family in itself can bring so much up seeing family if we don't often see them or expectations that come with this time of year and just the the sheer frequency of food-based events and expectations around that as well gyms closing things being interrupted can be can be really tough I guess a nice place to start might be I guess attitudes around food during the festive season as you said the frequency of you know the more intense meals and I say intense as in like there's so many different things and there might be a lot of novel foods where especially if you're coming from a place of ED it can feel kind of like a blessing and a curse because maybe you've given yourself permission to enjoy these foods but then you also have this sort of now or never mentality attached which can then feel not pleasant anymore it's like well I'm so excited to go and enjoy it and now there's too much and I don't want all of it but I kind of do want all of it and now I'm confused and I don't want to go at all um perhaps some we could discuss some ways to navigate those situations and then we can filter into some of our family and other conversations that might pop up yes I was just thinking that I think they're, they're quite related one does <laughs> segue into the other very well because Family's beliefs about food is likely to be projected onto you this time of year. And that's what I mean by the idea of expectations that people can be offended if you don't partake in certain ways of eating or um, an amount of eating. But starting at first with um, just between you and you navigating all that this time of year can bring up, it's we had the beautiful that beautiful trilogy of conversations on values and I think that's really relevant to bring up in approaching something like this time of year where being really clear on your intent and your purpose in each experience that you have whether it's the work Christmas party it's the neighborhood street Christmas party it's the different environments and types of relationships you have in those scenarios and who's going to be there it doesn't always have to be the same intent for one situation it might be I just need to keep this really simple really straightforward and not ask a lot of myself in terms of challenging myself in another scenario it might be a beautiful setting to be more exploratory but honoring where you're at in your recovery and your relationship with food as well 
there unfortunately isn't a Christmas magic that sprinkles upon us the ability to suddenly be able to eat intuitively or suddenly listen to our hunger and fullness cues if that wasn't possible two weeks ago. So we can't expect ourselves to, to engage in the way that other people might be able to. Also noting that it's certainly a time of year that highlights how common disordered eating to some extent is in our culture largely undiagnosed and unrecognized, unconscious by a lot of people experiencing it. But the normalization of dieting mentality and the types of comments that are made about excessive eating and consequences of that are things we're all likely to start to hear a lot of in the coming weeks. So very much that idea of staying in your own lane to the best of your ability, which I think can be helped by having a clear manifesto on your intention going into the situation and any ways of reminding yourself of that, even notes on your phone, little reminders that pop up on your phone, wearing a particular piece of jewellery or an essential oil to remind you, you know, there's these next few hours for me were just about this. And that's all I'm going to focus on, even if she's over there doing that and he's over there doing that. Mm, and I think it's a it's an interesting sort of way to get through those events because there's that idea that when we're going through EDOH HA recovery to be more spontaneous and open to saying yes and receptive to things. And personally, I actually found it a lot better and easier to get through social scenarios, as you've been describing, to actually set boundaries with myself and what my expectations were leading up to an event. And obviously over time they got less and less aggressive. Like at the start they were quite fine-tuned and then it got lighter and lighter as I got practice in these environments and I also got more confidence with my capacity to say yes, to say no, to honour hunger, to listen to fullness and all those sorts of things. But I know some takeaways that I, I found in really, really helpful in those situations is um, often, especially if we've been so restrictive, I, I used to look forward to Christmas and things because there was new foods that would be around. And part of that was I never wanted to have a little bit of everything, but I felt like I also didn't want to miss out either. And it, I guess it comes down to like family and the relationships you've got with them too. But something really simple I found quite helpful was that idea of knowing that I might have one or two sweets because like I, I really enjoy, I don't know, auntie's rumbles or something like that. But also knowing that if there was something that was still really appealing to me that I really wanted to try and that um, kind of excited me to taste, that if I was full, that was okay and I didn't have to eat it. But knowing that it wasn't an hour or never situation in the way that I could ask for a Tupperware container, can I take some home? Can I pop it aside in the fridge and eat it later if you're there all day? And knowing that, because sometimes we've got that pressure of, oh, there's only five left, I'm going to miss out, so I have to eat it. You're already full. And then it's quite a triggering feeling to feel full as it is. You've had that one bite too much and now your anxiety has gone through the roof because you hate this feeling of discomfort. Your mind's racing. Christmas feels like a disaster. And for the sake of one decision, one question of, can I pop it aside for later? You can really spare your emotions, but also build the confidence that you can navigate what you want in a way that isn't fulfilling other people's choices, which could be go all in now. Exactly, exactly. And that I think is so right that asking yourself 
actually to expect less from yourself at this time of year than more because we have that idea of um, almost all holes barred, like let loose, it's Christmas, it's party season, but in that chaos, we're likely to be less self-possessed when we really need to have our own back the most. With so many external voices and messages and disruption, we to be really clear, I think boundaries is the perfect word on a strategy for engaging in these events. And we don't have to stick to that rigidly if it doesn't feel like it's serving, but it we have some idea of signals of what might be us showing ourselves that we we need more support, we need intervention from ourselves if we start to see these behaviours or we start to have these thoughts, what that intervention will be, how we're going to help ourselves or get ourselves out of that situation, which could just be to have a breath of air outside or offer to go down the corner shops, pick up more milk, even though we don't need any more milk or whatever it might be to just have a breather and and try and re-enter into that scenario again. It's so true that last supper mentality is, I was thinking when you said that, that phrase of, but it's Christmas. How often you hear that, do you want one or maybe later, but it's Christmas, where as if we have to all make ourselves feel sick (laughs) collectively or we haven't properly celebrated or the year won't actually come to a calendar ending if we don't, if we don't sort of go through this ritual of really actually what is objectively disordered eating it's interesting the collective momentum that happens around that Mm -hmm. and people may be getting offended like if you don't have auntie's rumbles that she her nose is out of joint or does that mean you didn't like my cooking or went up to all this effort and you haven't partaken in it so I think that idea of a doggy bag is wonderful because it, it illustrates as well that we do value the food and we value the effort behind it but we are not willing to make ourselves feel sick or uncomfortable with either overeating or taking an action behaviorally on the day that's going to be unsupportive of our longer term recovery so it might be that that food is too challenging to also have socially or too challenging Mm -hmm. to have with the addition of other challenging foods that day so we've prioritized what we've had and we're able to take the rest for later but it's it's that idea too with the scarcity mindset that if if we're only going to have the opportunity to have rumbles today and they're going to be taken off the table in an hour's time and then I don't get to have them for a whole other year that we go into that panic eating of not wanting to miss out so I, I like that it suspends that possibility as well. I'm glad that you brought to the forefront that I that idea of you know you're saying no to the food so therefore you mustn't like my cooking or that personal attack side of things because in certain cultures especially that's com- something that's quite prominent Um, And of course, you never want to upset anybody. So that of all things can be quite a challenging time. And I feel you almost need strategy to get through that situation successfully. And the thing that works in our favor is that for the most part, we've had multiple Christmas celebrations with our family members and we can predict the ones that get that way. So if willing, you can kind of entertain the idea of, okay, if I am going to say no to so-and-so salad or pizza or whatever, and I think that they might question me, what's a good way I can discuss it? Perhaps I have a chat with them first. Perhaps I just, I have the confidence to say, I think you're a wonderful cook. I've just got such a full belly. I wouldn't enjoy it if I tried. Um, Because sometimes honesty is the key. It's like, no, I love your food so much, but I only enjoy it when I'm like, I'm ready for it. And I'm just I'm stuffed I'll have some later but almost the planning can be the confidence that comes with enjoying Christmas is you know and it's such a 
contrast because normally it's like stop trying to predict everything stop trying to control everything but these festive seasons are probably the little loophole where planning ahead thinking things through having a backup strategy knowing you can go for a walk it actually allows you to go into these events with confidence because you don't feel so vulnerable because you're open to feedback that could come in you almost feel and I I say this in like a gentle way but you almost feel like you got a bit of armor on it's like I I've got this I've got some ideas got some brainstorming perhaps someone knows what I'm going through I can always turn to them if I'm having a hard time and it kind of allows you to like lift your shoulders up a little bit and keep your chin high versus being like, oh my goodness, I've got no idea what's going to happen. And the fear of it closes you off from building resilience. That's beautifully said because it is that um, I, I was laughing when you were saying as well that it's, it's the irony of prob- probably what you and I have preached all year. Because yeah. <laughs> I know when there's extended family involved and, and at the festiv- festivities prepare. and yeah, just prepare, just go for it and get the game strategy together <laughs> because it is just, it is just so much more. It's so much more to juggle and the preparation will, I think that's very true, help you feel more confident and probably what you say will have a slightly different tone your body language might be a little bit different which will also catalyze a different dynamic than might have otherwise happened if you were just gritting your teeth and hoping for the best and just trying to get through the next several hours and not really knowing what to do then when that person does make that comment you're just going into fight or flight and you don't really know how to come back out of that Boundaries feel very important. And I think something that is invited through any recovery experience, probably even beyond an eating disorder or HA experience, meaning any any opportunity to really transform ourselves and do a deep dive into who we are and what matters to us, is that it's unlikely to be done without having unharmonious ripple effects into the greater systems that we live within you behaving differently which is towards your best interest will be essential in recovery and it won't always be welcome it would be lovely if everyone welcomed those changes with opened arms but humans don't like change and systems don't like change and whether it's conscious usually mostly unconscious people will resist that which is where the nagging to partake in the eating that you don't want to do comes in it's where the unwarranted questions about why you're still single or what happened to that last partner of yours or Mm -hmm. those points of uncomfort can come in these types of situations because they can be a rallying against someone that is trying to do deeper work on themselves and if you as you say know from previous experience that you've got a few family members or it might be colleagues it might be friends other people you'd see this time of year who might have that type of reaction first of all I want to offer that it is a legitimate option not to see them. You are allowed to say no. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to say, I'm actually really run down. I'm so busy right now. I've got so much going on. Can we just do a catch up in January? I'll be able to be more present, be able to enjoy your beautiful company more. I'd, I'd really prefer that. If you do choose to see them, you're allowed to do so on whatever conditions work for you. You don't have to answer any questions. You don't want to answer. You don't have to sit in a conversation that feels uncomfortable you are welcome to leave at any time you're you're a free agent and if it is a if it is a scenario where 
you do feel more heard and you do feel um, you can weather that experience without having damage to yourself or your recovery. Considering yourself as a change agent, I think can be really helpful, which is to say that from that perspective of knowing me doing this deep work on my inner self as I move through HA, as I move through disordered eating recovery, might bring up some stuff for other people and they will be more or less equipped to deal with that and even recognize what that is for them. My responsibility is to tenderly take care of my own needs Mm -hmm. and prioritize me. You are your best friend in this scenario. You're your own advocate. And being a change agent means that you are heralding the value of shifts that we're making socially and conversationally interpersonally over complying and perpetuating the same problems so when everyone's having a conversation about choosing to lose weight one way or the other in the new year as a new year's goal partaking in that conversation when you now know better is harmful and it's it's corrupting of your internal world because you know that you don't believe that anymore you know that at least that's problematic for you to to subscribe to but doing so to not cause any ripples is it's really taxing and stressful and you don't have to do it in an aggressive way and you're not responsible for anyone else's psychoeducation or their own self-evolvement or self-awareness but simply not talking about it is there's probably not a Christmas gathering I can think of that I've been to where someone at some point hasn't either made a comment about desiring weight loss or made a comment about having eaten too much or eaten something that they're moralizing or making a comment about my food or my body or Mm -hmm. I really don't think I probably would have had a, a Christmas celebration without that happening at least once and I usually, I usually just choose to not comment or I react to it as if they've said something that is offensive, but I don't want to go into it right now. I'll change the subject. I'll, um, sometimes I will reframe what they've said. Um, so I am highlighting what I perceive to be the meaning in it that is more kind or more positive mm-hmm. in my response, but I'm not buying into the diet culture aspect of that conversation. Knowing that that's what you're in for and even just saying something like um, if someone has said to me, oh, that's a lot you've got on your plate, Jacqueline, you're mm-hmm. um, eating like a relation today. I might just say something like, I'm just I'm really trying to listen to my body or my, my body's telling me it's hungry, I'm going to feed it. And it's quite lighthearted. It's quite, um, even sometimes humour can be a wonderful uh, lubricant to these situations. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not going to buy into, you know, oh, I know, it just looks so good or I couldn't help myself or mm-hmm. making these comments that is as subtle as they seem that little girl that's listening and that little girl that's within you that's listening, it is doing harm. And it's it's justifying that narrative for everyone else in that room that might not know the damage that diet culture is, is also doing to them, but it is. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're offering a point of separation from that and holding that space. It's amazing how heavily it links into the people-pleasing element though isn't it it's like the idea that we we have every right to deny answering a question or to ask a question back that kind of skips over our answer or like we that absolutely is within our power to do but if we're feeling as though 
the idea of doing that can have us expelled from the from the group then it subjects us to that people pleasing where you feel like you have to answer yourself you feel like you need to justify your decisions around food whether that be participation or not participating and I guess when you can think of it from an outsider perspective in order for you to enjoy your festive season to the best of your ability does that mean subjecting yourself to what you think everyone else wants Or does that mean you setting boundaries and intentions for the day that actually create space for you to let your guard down and have a good time? And I feel like that's something really important to highlight because that's going to be so different to every unique person. Um, As an example, some might not be worried about the food that's in front of them on the table. I can easily say yes to what I want, no to what I want, and no one will say anything about it. But, you know, grandpa or Uncle Joe or whoever they can't wait till I'm pregnant and they're going to hold my belly and say, where's the baby in the belly? <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's really intense. So am I either going to go into this and kind of keep enough distance that I'm not going to welcome in that gesture because I know it's coming because they do it every time I see them? Or is it going to be more of a, when I am near them, I'm making sure there's a group collective because that person tends to be a bit more distracted when with everybody rather than one-on-one time. And it's not being mean to try and coordinate a a group scenario where you know certain people are repeat offenders on food judgments, pregnancy judgment or comments and things like that. Like it's, it's not rude to avoid situations that make you feel uncomfortable because the, I think the reality is if the people that were saying the things I was saying knew how uncomfortable you felt as a result, I honestly don't think they'd say it. But we're kind of feeding that behaviour if we're always answering to it or accepting it because there's no social check, you know, and it, it's something, a really good example is if someone says a joke and it's in poor taste and everyone kind of does that oh, and nobody laughs, that person instantly goes, oh, okay. That, that joke's not funny. No one needs to point it out. No one needs to say you're a horrible person. That's not a fun. No, no words are needed. It's an instant social check and, and it's done. Everyone, someone else will say a joke or start a conversation and we as humans, we move on. It's like, okay, but we've, we've set a standard. But if there was that one person there going, oh my gosh, they feel really awkward. <laughs> and you laugh to cater to their discomfort that person's now going to go on being like, oh, well, one person found it funny. Let's do it again. And all it takes is that one person to feed an, uh, a lie really on how they're feeling to somebody else to keep encouraging them to keep doing something they're doing. And, and I think the beauty in that is we actually have a power to socially check people that we love. And I say this in the kindest of ways but we can actually break the chain by setting boundaries and sharing our truth, which could be, oh, look, I'm really not comfortable with that question. And and you can say that with the most beautiful smile because that's your truth. It's like, oh, I I really don't like that. Can we talk about something else? Or, um, you know, if it was a food situation, be like, oh, you know what, I'm I'm just happy what's on my plate. You're happy with what's on yours. Let's just enjoy. And it's, it's not sarcastic, it's not rude, it's not abrupt, it's not anything, but you are definitely taking the power back and having a social check to go, other people might like that question, that comment, entertain that with them. And people are clever. They'll click on and be like, okay, you know what, Jade doesn't entertain that question, I'm, I'm going to 
do it to Jacqueline instead. And I don't know, in your experiences, if you have ever done something similar, for me, it works quite well. But you need mm. the confidence to execute what you want to say in a gentle, kind way, because you don't want to embarrass anybody. You don't want to humiliate. But it it is quite receptive. And I, I personally have found people don't tend to repeat it that much. But you do need to have the courage to go, <laughs> no, thank you, change topic, in order to break the chain. Yes. And it is the breaking. It's a it's a pattern. It's a momentum that's built over a lifetime. That maybe this has been in place since you're a little girl, and these are your aunts and uncles, your grandparents. And it's funny how many of us feel more regressive in family situations because the total sum, the average of the total sum of how long someone's known us for is at a much younger age than our present age. It's almost like we go back to mm-hmm. ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and kind of hover in that developmental stage in some ways we feel um like a lot of people will say things that they know when they're around their parents that they'll they'll be more snappy they'll almost be sort of like a teenager again versus like how they behave at work and all of this subtly is going on in those interactions which can erode our power erode our agency I really like that idea of authenticity that you spoke to it's if I laugh at the joke it's not funny I'm not there's a form of dishonesty about that and it's ill-equipping that person to fine-tune their social skill set going forward. It made me think about the difference between kindness and niceness. I think so many women, you know, we've been raised, literally people say to little girls, like, you know, be nice, be nice, share. I hope you give them a turn first to be nice. If niceness really translates as an adult to people-pleasing and to... Mm self-abandonment to prioritize someone else's comfort what is kindness and even maybe having a bit of a a brainstorm about that could be a useful exercise before the holidays begin in full of if I want to be kind what is kindness because I was thinking when you were talking about that that to me what you were saying is really kind it's being honest it's being genuine it's not misrepresenting truths of how I'm perceiving someone or what, how what they're saying is impacting me. It's being thoughtful in the way that I would what I'm sharing to uphold my value of their feelings and not wanting to intentionally hurt. But sometimes hurt is a byproduct of being kind because mm-hmm. we're also choosing to be kind to ourselves, hopefully first and foremost. And if I have to choose between going into over-justification and defensiveness of my eating choices and being bombarded by these questions or saying something that is not going to go down well with Auntie May, then I have to choose the latter or my only other option is self-abandonment because it is then, then what we are actually affirming is that what these people want from us that we're spending time with at this precious time of year is for us to potentially risk our own lives because ultimately that's where HA and eating disorders could be going to Mm -hmm. risk our own lives so they don't have to feel awkward for 20 seconds and do we really believe that do we really believe that they would be wanting us to perpetuate core beliefs that lead to thinking styles that lead to behaviors that keep us in in such a dangerous position And if we really do, I would venture to question whether we should be spending time with them, (laughs) whether they are, whether they're truly family and the true 
meaning of the word. Mm, and even that question itself, it's like, what is family to you and what does it mean? And what are your expectations of the people who you love most? And obviously we've all got the dark clouds in the family. No family is absolutely perfect, but even just that awareness in itself gives us the strength to go, well, if we know that that person negatively affects our energy and it could just be because you clash or you don't click or morally you've got different standards or it doesn't have to be it could be the tiniest of thing or, or quite something bad but it you don't have to be their friend on the day to please Christmas spirit like you can very graciously avoid those people and even though it can feel uncomfortable the idea of it especially if you're in that people pleasing mindset like no but so and so really just wants me to get along with them and you know all those layers that can be put on top there if you're trying to prioritize your joy for the day the afternoon the morning how like what's the possibility of you having an incredible day because every I do believe in my heart everyone has the ability to have an incredible Christmas experience I really do believe that but it does involve prioritizing what's going to facilitate that for you and if you know there's a particular person who either energetically just brings you down you know they make inappropriate comments you know that they're just not good for you in this moment but you've got someone else who you haven't seen in a while that every time you're near them you don't know why you just feel a million bucks try and sit next to them try and make sure you're always near them and try and make the environment that of what you need to have a good time rather than trying to cater to the 10 people at the table because we all know trying to cater to the 10 people leads to compete, complete overwhelm, destruction because we can't, we, we can't. There's too unique and that's the beauty of humans. We're so different. But knowing that we have the power to facilitate an environment more than I guess we think we do if we're willing to close off to the idea of pleasing everybody on the day and instead focusing on, you know, what are my three essentials? What are my three main things that I want to try and keep as a priority? And I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a good day if I do those three things. I love that. Yes. And knowing you're allowed to leave, you can say you can only stay two hours because you're meeting friends for Christmas. You're, mm. you're allowed to set it up in whatever way is going to support you. And that's the priority. That's... Um, that to me is the the magic of what this time of year offers. It's to, it's it's love and and self love has to be the cornerstone of that. And I guess even if you're looking for that in the experience, the on the flip side of the negativity that can come with the festive season, it's also a really great opportunity to immerse yourself in some people's joy while eating, joy in celebrating with others, joy in quote unquote letting loose on because to a degree everyone's got certain kinds of rules like we all do but if you're following the appropriate people it can be quite helpful to watch them just have their plate of whatever it is big or small doesn't matter and you watch their interactions like they're looking up they're talking they're having a laugh they have a little bite of their food then they're back engaged with their family and then they might leave their plate for an hour and come back and be like oh my goodness I forgot to eat it I've got to eat it it's so yummy and there is a lot of people that bring such a flexibility and freedom and in ED recovery especially, I find that can be really inspiring to be like, wow, I love the freedom they've got today. 
Like I love how one minute they're enjoying their food and then the next minute they're celebrating and then the next minute they're running to go play cricket. And if you can even extract those things, that can really be added to your tool belt to be like, you know what, while I think that's not achievable, I'm witnessing it firsthand. I wonder what the difference is between their thoughts to live this way and mine. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this really creative thought spiral, like positive spiral that can be created just by inviting in curiosity. And rather than focusing so much on us, opening up our vision to like, what, what's everybody else enjoying and, and what does that look like? And the permission that could come from that as well, mm. being like, oh, my goodness, there's 10 people here and six of them are just so free. Yeah. I, I want to be one of them. Let, let, and immerse yourself in it. And even the idea of I wonder if I could practice it just for 20 minutes. You know, you don't have to commit to a whole day. Just for 20 minutes, I want to try what they're doing and just see what you learn. Like rather than having an expectation of I'm, I'm just going to show up and it's really intense. It's like, all right, I've got my little boundaries. I found someone who looks like they're having a great time. I want to have a great time too. Let's try some of that. That's wonderful. Yes, just treasuring the role modelling that you might be privy to on this day and seeing the insider experience, the insider knowledge of those that might more effortlessly have an intuitive relationship with food in their bodies that's beautiful Jane I want to sneak in one more question before we wrap things up because time goes so fast and I'm talking with you Jacqueline but I know one thing that be, can be quite tricky is when we're with family and they're actually giving us really beautiful compliments and feedback and they're actually being really kind and we take it as so offensive and I'm going to use my example with this one and I've spoken about it on the podcast before but if someone turned around to me Jade you look so healthy in my mind they just called me a fat not very nice things and I'd smile and go thank you and my soul would hurt and that sounds dramatic but that's how I felt I felt absolutely belittled diminished any excitement I had to try new foods out the window like squashed and I'll quickly share how I got over it and then I'd love to hear how you would suggest others do because I'm sure there's a few different ways. For me, the biggest takeaway was rather than being so fixated on my interpretation of the words, try to see what that person was trying to communicate with me because I was interpreting healthy as fat. But if I took myself out of it, which took a lot of practice and it took me a couple of years to even realise I was doing it, was to go, oh, hang on, what are they trying to tell me when they say I look healthy? They're actually trying to tell me I'm smiling more, I'm laughing more, my skin's nicer colour, maybe I don't have as many breakouts, maybe energetically I'm happy. Like what's healthy because I'm, I'm making a mess of it. And it happened with other comments too, like, oh, your bum looks good in those jeans. I'm like, oh, my God, my bum. <laughs> right. But no, they weren't saying that at all. They are just going, you know what, those jeans fit good. You look great. Like, good job. But the biggest takeaway for me was learning to accept compliments anyway, was literally taking myself out and being like, it's not about you. Like, try and advocate for the person giving you the compliment because they're saying it with a beautiful smile. You know they're not trying to hurt you. Their body language is open and caring. There's a disconnect. What, what's the intention here? 
what are other ways around it that you would suggest if you know you're taking things the wrong way? Like you're very aware, but it's still so intense. I would very much concur with what you've offered. I think the the other element that can be useful with compliments is that we, if we have come from that people pleasing paradigm and where we've really upheld other's opinions of us to define ourselves and our, our nucleus of self, our identity lays outside of ourselves, that renders feedback as devastating or affirming that we are, we have so much invested in where that feedback is, let alone the risk of misinterpreting it. So I think however it lands, and I would actually exercise this as much with compliments that feel or feedback that feels uplifting, which can be really tricky because we can like keep it and internalize it. But equally so, we want to move away from it defining us. And so, like you said, someone's, someone's words really just say so much more about their beliefs, their perceptions, their values, their misunderstandings. Then it, then it really has on you and whether we actually interpret it accurately is, is a whole other is a whole other thing so with any feedback you get from someone there's a there's a place for self-reflection but over the festive season I just give you a permission slip to shelve it all and really come back to checking in with how you feel about you as the definer because it's practice then of your individuation and your sense of I'm the one that gets to make the call as to whether I'm okay, whether I feel good, whether this is working for me. Mm. I know people I've worked with in the past have had compliments that they look really healthy as well at times where they've been the most sick. And maybe that compliment has come because they've lost weight or there's been a physical change that someone's assumed means something that society says it means. Mm but it's actually been, it's been devastating um, internally for, and then what message does that send? Like where, you know, we're yeah. applauding um, this change that you're actually incredibly unwell, but we're, we're seeing, we're seeing it differently. So I think really trying to see any compliment um, in addition to hearing where it's coming from, almost taking it with a grain of salt because mm-hmm it by definition doesn't have a lot to do with you. Especially that example you gave that suggestion, oh, you look so well, you look great, knowing that you are actually really unwell and perhaps you're seeking treatment or, you know, there's things going on. And taking it as a grain of salt is so much more helpful because especially in that vulnerable place, it's so easy to seek confirmation like, oh, well, she thinks I'm good. And that person's really important to me. They're really special to me. So as long as she thinks I'm good, I'm good. And our disordered self can be so cheeky with that kind of, it's like you can come in with the best intention of, no, I'm going to show up for myself today. I'm going to do all these things. I'm working, I'm healing. And then one person says something to confirm your more comfortable behaviors, which facilitate your disordered self. And you can very cheekily be like, oh no, so it must be okay because they just gave me permission. So I, I actually, I love that even just entering in those social environments, knowing that I may receive feedback or comments and either way it's how I feel about myself that matters. So yes, I'll smile and play the game, but for the most part, I know how I feel about myself and what I want in life and that's going to keep me moving forward. Exactly. And then if you get a compliment or a comment rather, say that someone said, um, 
you don't look as good or if you're okay you look like um, you're really stressed or something equally so if you know actually I I just feel great I've chosen to wear more comfortable clothing today or I didn't put makeup on I actually that that is symptomatic of me feeling more accepting of myself maybe it just gives us that pause to reflect and determine our truth not be not let that be determined for us yeah such wonderful examples and such wonderful tools that you've highlighted for us today Jacqueline thank you so much and I'm looking at the time and it's the time to wrap things up it's gone so fast but I'm sure there's so many little nuggets in today's episode that hopefully women have taken a few notes and they've got more tools in their tool belt leading into the the jelly season um but thank you so much for joining us today I'll leave all your details in the show notes as always and I cannot wait till our next conversation Thanks so much for joining in on today's episode. I hope you loved it. Please subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with all future episodes. And if you are interested in coaching, whether it be groups or one-on-one, please send me a DM or an email and we can have a bit of a chat about where you are now and where you want to be. I can't wait to speak to you soon. Bye-bye.